Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Sound Agriculture. I'm lead content editor, Brian O'Connor. On the podcast this week, we're speaking to Rod Rehezus, one of the researchers behind a wave-making study released earlier this year. Rehezus, a professor at North Carolina State University, and his collaborators found increasing no-till adoption can lead to higher land values. Here's my discussion with Rod. So I'm Rod Rehezus, a professor here at the North Carolina State University. I've been here 15 years and done a lot of work in ag economics and, you know, in general and, you know, looking at different practices recently, soil health practices and the economics of, you know, no-till and cover crops and these kinds of things. And historically, I've, I've worked a lot on crop insurance issues and risk management in ag as well. Okay, so this isn't too far outside of your um, this investigation that you found. And next thing I'll ask you to do is summarize your your findings a little bit. Uh, from what I understand, you guys uh, and I read your paper. Keep in mind, I don't have uh, the academic background. <laughs> ones itself. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Well, fluid, but um, essentially, what I what I, from the Cliff Notes version for our, for our listeners mm-hmm. uh, is that a one percent adoption at the county level of no-till practices. Uh, leads to a corresponding increase in land values. Now, there's a little bit uh, of a difference between what was found in, I guess, because you're using two data sets. There was one that was Iowa, and those so those values are tracked a little bit differently than this other uh, data set. So, can you explain? Is that right? Can you and right? Can you so through what you looked at and what you found. Yes. So essentially, we we sort of merged together a couple of data sets with what we call the Optus data set. So the Optus data set is the remote sensing data that looked at and have information about no-till adoption. And then so we link that first to ag census land value data uh, for 12 states, essentially. That's one data set. And for that data set, we found like a 1% increase in no-till adoption rates at the county level will result in around $7.86 increase in land values for counties in those 12 states. Then the other data set we use is the Iowa state land values data at the county level. It's a smaller number of counties, but more frequent yearly data temporally. So that's sort of the difference. I guess the census data is every five years, right? So that's sort of the limitation of that. But it has a wider geographical scale. But for this Iowa data, of course, it's just Iowa, 99 counties in Iowa, but I guess 2005 to 2016 yearly. And for that, it's it's a little bit larger. I mean, so 1% increase in no-till adoption increases land values. I mean, close to 15 bucks is is, uh, where we're at. I understand that was the, that 1475 figure for Iowa was the conservative. You guys have a range of values, right? And that was the one that you were most confident in? Well, not necessarily. It's just that it's it's, it's sort of like yearly thing. It's a middle value. It's a median effect or or mean effect, essentially, right? So there's still a confidence interval around $15. And well, we're confident in both. Yeah. It's just that it measures two different things, right? So it's Iowa, Iowa. And first of all, that that higher estimate is expected because land values in Iowa are bigger than say Oklahoma. Oklahoma is is part of that other data set, right? So it's expected in that sense, okay? So 
you know, we're confident in both estimates. It's it's just it measures two different things, essentially. Okay. Um, for the Optus data set that you use, can you explain a little bit about why you decided to use that? I know there were some notes about um, that being maybe a little bit more verifiable or objective, right, because you actually see the evidence. Why right. So the problem with no-till adoption and other soil health adoption, you know, cover crops or those kinds of things, it's hard to get data <laughs> yeah. on those kinds of things, right? So there is sort of that ag census data on no-till adoption, but it's just available for 2012 and 2017. Uh, same for cover crops. So it's that's the limitation. And we thought that's not ideal in our sense because we wanted to see sort of a longer run sort of effect on land values. Because I think our hypothesis, at least, we didn't mention this in the paper, is that you know, one-year adoption of no-till doesn't increase your land values right away. It will take a while, yeah. right? It has to embody all the benefits of it to increase the land values. And so that was why we opted for the Optus data. It's a remote sensing data that tracks essentially the residues and, and the developers of that data set, which is my co-authors, essentially also allowed, I mean, it's not every county, every field that they verified it, but they have some sampling uh, way to do it so that they could validate what's shown in the satellite and what's shown actually on the field. And they they showed in a separate paper that it's reasonable. Essentially. Yes. It's not perfect, right? It, it can't be perfect, but it's a reasonable estimate of no-till adoption on the ground. Okay, so what accounts for this? Do you guys have any kind of inkling as to an explanation of why this correlation? Well, you know, it measures the residues pretty well, mm -hmm. but it's sometimes different, for example, with the ag census one, because ag census, they ask the farmers, right? Yeah. At a particular point in time, they, and they could say, yeah, we, we did it. But then based on the remote sensing, for example, there may be some whatever event that didn't allow the the you know the residues to be detected or something like that. Yeah. So there is that's where sort of the discrepancy sometimes come in. And then of course this relies on sort of technologies to to detect the residues uh, and stuff. So it might be you know there may be other residues other than due to no till. So something to that effect. Well, we we know from a fact right we had windy windy parts of Iowa and the other west. Some farms, the residue is blowing from no-till onto till field. <laughs> yeah, so that you know, those kinds of things might 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 happen there because it's actual sort of sensing of residues on the ground. Got it. Why do you think land values increase when farmers implement no-till practices? Well, so the linkage, I think, as I think I explained in the paper, is this: the benefits of no-till are slowly being capitalized into land values, right? So in that framework in the paper, I said land values is typically based on expected future returns, yeah. essentially discounted forward to this day. And so if you have no-till and you know that there is both input cost benefits, right? L lower cost in fuel and all that kind of thing that lowers costs and increases profits, Plus, if there is, in, I mean, we didn't test this directly, but if there is some yield productivity benefits over time as well, all of those will be capitalized in the value of the land. 
And that's the mechanism why no-till, whatever benefits it, it provides both on the cost side and the benefits side will be slowly but surely be capitalized into land values. And that's, I think, what we're capturing here. And as you said earlier, when we started, I think there has been talk that yes, it probably, it, it's logical, mm -hmm. but there has been no sort of data-driven evidence to quantify that to the best of our knowledge. And so th this is the reason why we try to sort of quantitatively show that yes, we show that there is a data-driven evidence that no-till uh, increases sort of land values, at least at the county level. And, and so in other words, this is something that maybe subjectively has been understood by farmers and property owners for a while. You guys came along and put a dollar on it. Exactly. And sort of there is evidence now to support, essentially. Got it. Okay. Um, given the, the increase, we, we've seen land values generally in Iowa and elsewhere. Um, they're really high. Is there any reason or any cause to think that this kind of increase will matter in the wider scheme of the economics of farmland purchase and management? Like well, it could. I mean, it's, it's may, again, it's just one of the factors that gets capitalized into land values, right? Mm -hmm. So among many other stuff. Uh, I think in my mind, this is mostly for the benefit of those landowners or farmers that are not yet quite convinced about no-till. Yeah. Right. So I think because yeah, this has been talked about as a potential benefit, but it's not front of mind in, in my mind. I mean when you talk about no-till, a lot of people talk about soil erosion benefits, environmental benefits, and not land values. And so if you're conventional right now and you're thinking about doing this, uh, or even a landowner where the tenants are not no-tilling, this may be something to think about that, yeah, over time, this may be a, an additional benefit that might tilt the economics of it, because perhaps the reason conventional are sticking to conventional because the economics for their particular case doesn't make sense to them, but maybe they didn't consider the land value benefit. Maybe that additional $7 may tilt it, okay, if I have that, that might make it worth my while to go to no-till. So it's kind of in the marginal economic decision-making sphere. Exactly. That's where I wanted, to, I think, the main contribution of this, I think, in my mind, because it's been talked about, but it's not front of mind as, an, as a key benefit of no-till. Yeah, and that's certainly something I hear a lot is people talk about return on investment and kind of the accessory costs associated with adopting no-till. I don't know that there has ever been, well, I know I talked about it with some some landowners recently, but I don't know that there's ever been a hard uh, look at, you know, this will make our land better and that's why we should do it. So right. More, right. more valuable, I guess. More valuable, yeah, right. right. There's a tangible land value dollar <laughs> benefit. Okay. Um, what led you to look at this? Well, so I guess there's there's a, there's been a lot of work looking at soil health practices and and not fully understanding the benefits, and so we thought, okay, so this may be something that I've heard about, right? But I haven't seen any hard evidence in terms of data, and that's why we sort of okay, let's look at it and see, and then as we look 
we looked at it first looking at the literature and we haven't found i mean we didn't find anything contemporary we found something in the past in the 80s but not no-till per se just soil conservation effort whatever that is uh, yeah. in the previous letter literature and so once we sort of looked at the literature okay so there's something here that we could sort of provide and i had access to that optus data and that's i think the missing link the data on no-till adoption that's temporarily sort of longer has not been there before and this sort of allowed us to look at this uh, issue deeper okay um i kind of want to circle back to something that you said you said um the Iowa increase was higher in part because land values are higher just generally in Iowa. Is that kind of, can you explain a little bit, tease out a little bit what you mean? Well, there? There's, there's a distribution, right? Typically, I think if you consider just Iowa by itself, I would expect it. And I haven't looked at the heart right off the top of my head right now, but you would expect that the, the, the distribution would be a little bit narrower and tilt towards higher values compared to say a data set that includes other states that has you know not prime agricultural land right so that's why i expected even beforehand that the iowa runs and analysis would result in just the magnitudes will be a little bit higher because of that what was the value and i, I I know I wrote, when I summarized your guys' article, I wrote it up, to my recollection, it was significantly lower, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $5 increase for those other states. Is that right? $7.86. There we go. Um, so significantly lower. Um, do you think that for other states is enough of an incentive or is this something that we can look at Iowa specifically and say Iowa, you know, the, the, in other words, is there a regional variation, right, between what's accomplishable by adopting no-till state to state? Yeah, I think that's the implication of, of, of that magnitude difference in and of itself, that there is some heterogeneity across states. We didn't estimate it state by state. Okay. So we don't know, uh, we haven't looked at that, but that may be something to look at in the future. Because again, it, I guess it's about natural, right? So if it's already a very, very productive field, uh, well, it, I, you know, there may be heterogeneity, that an additional, uh, 1% increase in no-till might result in higher land value increase in more productive lands compared to less productive lands. You know, I haven't looked at that. We didn't look at that in particular uh, for this paper. But my thinking is that when you look at the data on the land values, the distribution of land values for a set of counties over 12 states would be more variable. It will be wider yeah. compared to a set of values from Iowa which will be a little bit narrower because we know that most counties in Iowa have good and high value land. Where do you go next with this? What's the, what are the questions that you leave open? What do you want? What do you think are the top three or four things you want to look at? Well, so, so this question of heterogeneity that you just raised. So we we're you know, mid Atlantic States, Northeast States also have very strong no-till adoption. Tennessee have, very strong no-till yeah. uh, adoption rates. And so, but we didn't have land values and <laughs> no-till adoption uh, uh, data for that. But uh, the people, I've, the remote sensing folks that I've been working on are trying, that's what they're working on, trying to get the no-till adoption 
uh, rates for the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic states in the near future. What they tell me, and I'm not a remote sensing expert, but, but they, what they tell me is that in the Midwest, it's flat. <laughs> it's easier to do the remote sensing thing. It's better correlation with the actual, right? Yeah. In the Northeast, in the, in, in the Mid-Atlantic, it's more sloping. It's harder to do the remote sensing there. Yeah. So they're working on it right now, and but their goal is to have data against something similar, whatever, 2005 to 2020, for example, for all these other states. And then we could redo these analysis again and see whether it makes a difference and then maybe look at it more carefully, not, perhaps not state by state, but region by region. Yeah. What's the heterogeneity of the impact? Is it still $7 in the mid-Atlantic? Maybe not. You know, those kinds of issues because it's different, right? So it's limited to the Midwest right now, maybe in, in the Southeast, the mid-Atlantic, in the Northeast, it, it's kind of uh, maybe the land value. Of, it may be higher. I don't know. That's maybe the one reason that the adoption rates are, are so high in Tennessee, for example, or, or Maryland. Uh, so those kinds of things is what we're we're wanting to do in the future. We'll get back to my discussion with Rod Jesus in a moment. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture. Nutrients cost more today and can be hard to get when you need them. Thankfully, there's a better source of plant nutrition. It's your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nitrogen and phosphorus in your fields. Learn more about Source at www.sound.ag. And now, back to Rod. There's a, a, a tricky bit here. You guys looked at the county level data, and that would seem to indicate that if I'm a conventional farmer and my no-till, my neighbor adopts no-till, that that would necessarily lead to an increase in my land. Is that true, or is there a fallacy about the way you guys looked at the data? That well, that that could be true, sort of like a free riding effect, just because it's at the county level. Yeah. Right. So what we're saying, the 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 statistical analysis we run is at the county level. So a one percent adoption in general at the mean will increase land values. So even if you, you know, you're in a county and other your neighbors adopted that they pushed it in general the the values will perhaps increase it may but it may not be the conventional yeah. <laughs> uh they may not benefit from it i don't know that so that, that's that's another reason maybe it's it's another research uh effort to look at farm level or field level data and those are harder to get to because you're gonna have to rely on survey, farm level surveys. Yeah. And more than likely you will get a shorter time frame for those kinds of things. Okay. Um, are you guys looking at the Western states at all? We have um, a fair amount of, because right, Tennessee has the highest percentage of no-till adoption. I think in terms of the naked acre number, uh, Nebraska actually has the most acres in no-till currently. 
Mm -hmm. uh, are you looking at areas where you know that how that might play into it? Yeah. So again, so again, I think one of the limitations is that Optus data. So I think they will expand a little bit to the west as well, towards western Colorado. So mm -hmm. that will cover Nebraska. I think right now we don't have full coverage of all of Nebraska. Yeah. Like half of the counties, I would guess, in Nebraska is included in our data set. So that's included in that thing. But I'm, I don't think we're going to go further west. <laughs> so maybe the Great Plains till maybe some counties in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, and then the Mid-Atlantic and, and uh, uh, Northeast. So California is out of luck is what you're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're going to go to California. Yeah. And, and then there's other pockets up near, uh, for example, the Palouse in Western Idaho, Eastern Washington State, nor North Eastern Oregon. Yeah, um, maybe so. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you talk about Hillary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> well, but, well, I take that back a little bit. Again, it depends on the, these remote sensing folks, because I, I know their long-term objective is a national data set. If that's the case, then it, perhaps it's possible to cover even the furthest west states. But yeah. my, my understanding is they're prioritizing northeast and sort of mid-Atlantic right now. So that's, I think, is the lower hanging fruit, so to speak, uh, that may be more feasible to investigate in the near future. Well, and I know they recently, because one of the things when I read your paper, I went and looked up the Optus website to see you know what it was about and, and where it came from. And one of the things that I saw on their website was an update saying they'd expanded parts of Wisconsin where I'm at, but also other states as well. Is there a chance that we could see an update more recently just with the more more data coming in? I mean, I assume that would also undergird your assumptions or, or maybe- Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, we, we could, I actually have that data already, the, the, some expansion. So it, right, this paper, it was 12 states. Mm -hmm. The new update was 16 states, I think. Wow. But I don't know. So it's sort of like the marginal value of, investigating that intermediate step or should I wait till the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic are there? So that's that's where I'm at personally yeah. as a researcher, whether should I investigate this sort of intermediate improvement <laughs> or should I wait for the others to make it, you know, more robust and different regions really, so. Um, one of the other things that's going on right now in uh, conservation agriculture is uh, kind of the the ingress of the carbon markets as well um, and mm. carbon programs. Is that part? Is that reflected in this data? Do you see that as part of the reason land values are increasing? No, not yet. Because again, the the conceptual idea here again is land values is a function of expected future benefits. Yeah. Um, now, the, given the data that we have, I guess 2005 to 2016, the carbon markets are not yet there. Mm -hmm. But say we include, say, say the carbon markets, you know, becomes bigger. <laughs> yeah, the, that's payments already that's associated with the with the no-till. That could perhaps be capitalized into land value itself as well. That's a future thing to look at. So there's already a literature right now in, in the in the ag econ literature about other payments being capitalized into land values. So say the subsidy payments, uh, you know, the commodity payments, 
that's part of your future expected returns from your land. And that's being capitalized into land values itself. And there's, there's a, a robust literature about that already. There's still debate, <laughs> but there is literature about, and there's some evidence about, you know, all these art PLC or, you know, disaster payments, disaster assistance. All those are, or government payments in general, are already being capitalized into land values. And so in my mind, when you talk about carbon markets and carbon payments, that seems analogous to yeah. me that as that market grows, as that markets become, you know, included in the expectations of the value of land, of, of the things that you could get from the land, it'll be capitalized, I think, perhaps in, in the future as well. Um, what about cover crops? You know, we one of the things that we uh, notice every year, we do a big survey that looks at um, no-till practices and, and nationally something like 3% of farmers have adopted cover crops. But within the no-till community specifically, adoption rates are as high as 80%. Right. Do you guys, are you guys looking at possibly teasing that data out as well? I, I imagine that would be something that would be very easily sensible. Right. So, so we actually looked at that ah. as a separate right-hand side variable, but we couldn't cover crops by itself. There's no effect right now. And so that's why we didn't include it in this paper. <laughs> but uh, my hypothesis, as you said, it's just too low in general. Three, our analysis from Optus says it's around 3.9%. Yeah. In, 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 my thinking is it's just too low at the county level that it's still not being capitalized into that land value. That's why we're finding statistically insignificant effects. Yeah. Now, I like what you said, though, about no-till and cover crops as sort of complementary practices together. And that may be an interesting thing to look at. So rather than no-till itself, we could look at at the county level, some sort of interaction between no-till and and cover crops, and see if adopt no-till effect will increase together. Yeah, with cover crop, we didn't look at that, but that may be something to think about. I'll look yeah. that down. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that farmers worry about when they adopt no-till stratification, and um, that's you know you're you're mixing the soil up less because you're not tilling. So your nutrients tend to congregate in the top inches. And one of the most uh, effective ways that farmers have found is to use taproot crops like radishes or turnips and, and that kind of thing. Daikon is really popular mm -hmm. um, to kind of get big roots into the soil deeper to kind of till without tilling, essentially. Use, you know, plants to move soil around instead of heavy equipment. Right. So that's a sub something to investigate in the future. I okay. Think. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I could be of help. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's 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 why I do all these things. I mean, I could learn from you too, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so are, are there any other avenues related to no-till that you still want to explore um, beyond land values? I mean, is there a way of looking at, you know, we have a huge outstanding debate over just that, the carbon markets, and, you know, people saying, oh, this is just greenwashing. 
Um, <laughs> is there anything, any way that we can use the, the database that you looked at to kind of determine how much carbon is being stored or anything like that? Good point. And we're looking at that. The, the key there is the data on the carbon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so essentially what you want, in, instead of land values as the outcome, you want carbon yeah. as the outcome. And then at least at the county level, you want carbon, whatever, some carbon measure in the soil, and then some no-till or cover crop adoption on the right-hand side to sort of relate both of these things. And the carbon is the hard data to get. Yeah. Um, there is sort of, you know, there's lots of data, Surgo, it's from USDA and all that stuff. The problem there is it's static. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't change over time. So I think we're trying to explore one data set that has variation over time. And just to see the same idea here, we will merge that carbon data with no-till adoption data and see whether there is some relationship, of course, controlling for other factors uh, as well. So that's in our docket. <laughs> I guess we haven't looked at that as of yet, but that's in our sort of things to do list that we're interested in exploring. And then I'm also working with some agronomists here at NC State, looking at exact same thing, but at a smaller scale. So they have field trial data, uh, you know, randomized block design for different treatments of combinations of no-till and cover crops. So no-till uh, with cover crops and different kinds of cover crops and so forth. But my collaborator is actually actually measuring sort of the emissions. Oh wow! Per se, uh, you know some machine or whatever <laughs> so that's another potential area we want to look at it's not farm we can't you know the beauty about the county level is perhaps it's representative of farmer behavior mm -hmm. this is more field trial data but we could get to that at some point i would get yeah. um so, one, of the, one of the things i've heard floated is an ecosystem services model for reimbursement um do you think this work is going to go towards supporting that like instead it Farmers who adopt no-till will just be paid a lump sum, regardless of how much carbon that they store, that kind of thing, just because we have, we know these ecosystems are associated. Yeah, it could. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, I guess. It's, it's, it could be. There's still lots of debate right now on how do you structure that market. So it's, you know, there's always this monitoring and validation question, right? And it's always this concern about, well, uh, are they really sequestering carbon? It may be just a transfer to farmers rather than, you know, getting the environmental benefits. So I think there still needs to be a lot of work to look at that. And also, I mean, just talking to a lot of my agronomist friends, they're just saying, well, you know, it's different types of soils will have different kinds of, you know, rates of carbon sequestration. Yeah. Uh, and, should we go that deep <laughs> or should we just be a lump sum? And, but again, I think the evidence base is not yet there mm. for a lump sum type of payment. Uh, you know, because there's still debate whether or not no-till, say, in the south southeastern states sequester carbon the same way as no-till in the Midwest states. Right. Um, and 
if you have a lump sum payment that assumes that it's sort of the same, uh, no. So those kinds of issues comes in in, in, in in that case. And I think that's why there's lots of, and I, I'm sure you heard about this, that the climate smart, uh, I guess, call for proposals. Yeah. And exactly what they're wanting to see. And, and there's different, I don't, there's no funding yet, yet on the decisions yet. But I think that's what they, the government, NRCS and all that stuff, that's what they want to figure out. It's like, is there a, what do you guys in the academic community or in the you know the NGO community think of how to better to best develop this ecosystem service or carbon market? Uh, yeah. What's the right way to pay or what's the right is it lump sum? Is it by acre? Is it some sort of monitoring? Is it based on remote data? Those kinds of things I think still need to be worked out. Okay. Um, and then this is kind of a curveball, but we know that since the moldboard plow has gone out of fashion, um, that there's actually, you know, <laughs> we like to think that it's just plow and then no-till over here at no-till farm. But um, there's actually a diversity of plow of tillage practices. Have you guys considered looking at any of those strip till, vertical tillage, what they call minimum tillage? Right. No, in this particular case. So we, we sort of separated uh, just no-till and and conventional uh that's something that needs to be looked at as well i guess in in the future and uh, uh how that that will work um, we haven't looked at that separately in the office data there is some separation for i guess the mid the middle ground so to speak right uh but we didn't look at that so maybe that's something to look at uh sort of the conservation tailor the minimum till rather than no till. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that I've, frankly, it, well, it's a little um, interesting is that uh, when we put out our big survey, we get results that suggest that farmers do adopt no till. And you would expect that because, hey, our readers are, you know, it's no till farmer magazine. But mm -hmm. we also find that uh, farmers adapt multiple uh, practices for lands that they manage. So they'll have half under no-till and half under strip-till, for example, or half under conventional and half under uh, no-till as well. So I don't know to what extent you guys have looked into that or even if that would matter, um, but it's just- Well, that, I mean, I don't know. That, that, that would probably matter as well. It depends on, again, how, how it will be capitalized, I guess. That's something to, to, to look at, I guess, something for future research to, to to see if that intermediate step already also contributes to land values in this particular case. We haven't looked at that yet, but that's a good point. Um, so does this also support a change to the crop insurance rates for farmers that adopt no-till? Since that's uh, your area of expertise, I, I feel comfortable asking. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's a different story in my okay. mind. Again, premiums is based on risk. Yeah, not land values in this particular. So it's based on the riskiness of of the thing. So that's a separate question, right? Does no-till reduce production risk, or does cover crop reduce production risk? And that's something that I'm looking at as well. So perhaps in the near future we could talk again. Uh, we're, I, I'm, you know, that that's something that we're looking at cover crops in particular, but we could also look at no-till. Uh, 
as well, because as you said, I mean, and as you probably know, right, there's some, there's a pilot premium discount for uh, cover crop adoption in, I think, Illinois, Indiana, those, it's like a $5 uh, thing. Uh, but that presumes that cover crops reduce risk, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think there's still debate uh, on that kind of thing. Uh, and so that's something to look at still. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions I got. Is there anything else uh, you want to cover? Anything else we missed? No, I think we've we've covered a lot of stuff. Okay. I'm going to ask you the, the Ira Glass question then. Um, he calls it the blank check question. I always thought of it as the magic wand question. If I handed you a blank check with infinite budget, what would you study right now? Huh. <laughs> well, we would look at some of these issues that that you mentioned about both carbon, that question, and also this, this uh, larger risk question and, and soil health question. Um, at the farm level, perhaps, if, if, if that's the case. Uh, there is some data with the USDA called uh, Ag ARMS, Ag Resource Management Survey. It's not every year, but it costs money to, to get access to those kinds of things. So some follow-up to investigate those questions, plus a follow-up on this land value question uh, at the farmer or field level would be interesting in my mind. So those are the things, those are the three things, the carbon market issue or the carbon sequestration issue with no-till and and and, uh, and uh, cover crops, the risk crop insurance thing with no-till and cover crops, and a similar study that of the paper we're discussing uh, right now, but at the farm level and using your blank check to <laughs> to pay whoever to get the data. <laughs> Thanks again to our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. More podcasts about no-till farming are available over at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. That's no-tillfarmer.com slash podcasts. A transcript of this episode will be available there shortly. You can also subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at b-o-c-o-n-n-o-r at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2413. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and our Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And for our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm lead content editor Brian O'Connor. Thanks for listening and farm ugly. Farm ugly.